Hello and welcome to the Words of Colour in Conversation podcast. I'm your host, Heather Marks, and on this podcast, I'll be chatting to creatives of colour about their practice. This In Conversation podcast is a chance to learn about their journey, craft, and the creative industry's landscape from their perspective. Today's guest is Shagufta Kay, an activist, workshop leader, poet, and filmmaker. She explores the personal and political through themes of gender inequality, racism, and the injustice in our world. Her poems are thought-provoking, rich, and vivid in their imagery. Shagufta Kay has many caveats to her name. She's the author of Jam is for Girls, Girls Get Jam, producer of award-winning short film Borders, founder of Yoniverse, a South Asian women's poetry collective, and co-founder of Kyoto, a new collective for performers of colour in Bristol. Plus, she's also writing her debut novel. Hello and welcome, Shagufta Kay. Hey! <laughs> Hello. Thank I you so much. I don't feel like I'm doing all those things. Mostly just feel like <laughs> I'm just kind of slobbering out of bed and trying to get through life. <laughs> no, you are honestly a busy woman doing many great things. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you for I'm so glad we managed to get here. Yay! <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so first of all, I like to ask kind of what your journey was into becoming a creative what were some key moments that have led you to where you are now mm, yeah okay um I think I always knew I wanted to be a writer and um decided to go and study it at uni which really kind of like just poetry kept pulling me um and I loved prose and script writing wasn't really my thing but I do now veer towards it through the poetry through poetry films um, and then I think I joined the Bristol Black Writers, which was like a little writing group at Cumba. Yeah. And I talk about it all the time because it was set up by Edson. I don't know if you know Edson. I know Edson yeah. Burton, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and Bretel as well. Um, from he's, he's working in the library. Um, and it just kind of changed the way I thought about my writing. I thought about my narratives. And people took me seriously, which was really, really important because I just came along as this young 19-year-old with these like terrible poems I'm thinking <laughs> about now. Um, and they gave me space and time and let me grow, which is, just, you don't get that often. Mm. Um, and that, I think, was a, a pivotal point in my writing career, which made me think, yeah, if other people are willing to take me seriously, I will take myself seriously. And it's, and Kumba's gone now. Kumba's gone. Yeah. Kumba has gone. And, you know, it's it's something I talk about a lot in some of my poetry as well about those community service spaces that helped grow and develop and nurture talent and provide alternative routes to young people particularly from inner inner city bristol um and they're not there anymore they're Um, not at all it's really frustrating um i know there are other amazing things happening um but a lot of them are grassroots they're not funded by local authority and stuff so Mm. um it's yeah, it's part of my frustrations with Bristol and, and actually the, the climate in which we live in. Mm, yeah. I'd also love to talk about craft, to talk about your practice. Um, what are the principles that guide your practice? So, you know, you're doing poetry, you're also doing film, you're doing mentoring, you're doing workshopping, you're doing novel writing. Is there anything that's changed since you began? Um, again, I think it goes back to community. So... Um, with poetry, I started um, when the collective, the Universe Collective, um, we first sort of came together and started writing as a collective and going away on writers' retreats. And we were um, 
mentored by Zena Edwards, who's an amazing poet and an amazing workshop facilitator. If you ever get the chance to go to one of her workshops, go, because she will change the way you think and and work and and produce um, just creativity. And um, we did a workshop with Zena Edwards. And also because all the women in the room had a particular relationship to being South Asian, I realised that when I was writing with that collective, with the group, I was writing in a way that was quite in it. It wasn't, I think I was being a lot more open in my work, but at the same time, I felt like in some ways I could be lazy. And I realised that before that point, up until then, whenever I was writing poetry, I was explaining the the Mm -hmm. poem within the poetry. Mm -hmm. So if I'm talking about something from a specific South Asian culture... Even in the poem, I'm having to explain mm. what that is before I then say, I don't know, mangoes, whatever it is. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, whereas when I was writing with the collective, we all got it. You don't yeah. have to explain it. The nuance is there. Mm-hmm. They, you know, it, it immediately it falls in, the, in, in, in that group and it, it just resonates. And that really changed the way I wrote because I, I realised that I was doing so much explaining. It's yeah. like telling a joke and having to explain the joke. Mm-hmm. You, you lose the humour. Um, and I think... I feel like with particular audiences now, my work is a lot more powerful because that nuance is there and it doesn't have to be explained in a way that previously I had been doing in a very sort of mainstream white way. Mm, Yeah, definitely. There's that kind of very almost unconscious way of writing for a, I guess, a mainstream and white gaze that you automatically assume, oh, they're not going to get this, they're not going to get that, or let me backtrack. It was something actually that I felt the same when I was doing my when I was doing my MA in Black British writing, and like everyone in the room was a person of colour, and Amazing. it's like the kind of conversations that we're seeing now um, in sort of the media about the sort of political climate of the UK and very much how like how the way we talk about race, the way we talk about culture, it's almost a, it's a very um, beginner level where you're constantly having to explain like even the most basic yeah. tenets. All of that was gone. All of that was gone when it was all when it was just us and these students of colour with a teacher, a professor of colour in the room. It's like we could really get going. Yeah, and you're, you're suddenly at that level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I indicated with my hands. I've <laughs> 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 got missed, but yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, that is so valuable as a creative of colour. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Mm. I love, I think that leads me on perfectly, actually, onto the collectives, yeah, onto Universe, onto Kyoto, because particularly in Bristol, those spaces, those groups... I mean, I've been here a year now and, yeah, it's, I'm, I don't see them at all. And so to go to the Kyoto launch, which went really well, by the way, a full house. <laughs> Anyone who didn't go, you missed out. So go to the next event. Um, it was such a rare chance to see performers of colour of different art forms. You had poetry, you had theatre, you had dance, you had storytelling and you had comedy as well, which was great. And they're all on the same stage. It's not tokenistic. So how did Kyoto come into being and what are your aspirations for this new Bristol collective? So I can't I can't take the credit for Kyoto at all because it was Aisha. Um and Aisha works at the Wardrobe Theatre and I think she read about my collective, The Universe, and reached out to me after an interview I did and said, Hmm, it's interesting that you're doing that in London, but in Bristol, again, mm-hmm. it's the same thing, you know, um, that you were you your complaints 
that raised the issues that were of concern to you that made the universe come out those are the same issues that are happening in Bristol and I think I'd just moved back to Bristol as well so I, I was I was there for a couple of months um, and I was a little bit like hmm I'm just going to keep going back to London for work that's yeah. what I'm going to have to do um, and occasionally do a gig in Bristol and then sitting down and speaking to Aisha we both decided that yes actually let's do something in Bristol um, make it much wider than just because with the poetry it's very South Asian women because our voices get swallowed up in the poetry scene um, but in Bristol we wanted to focus it towards anyone who self-identifies as a person of colour um, and whatever creative art form it is um, and it's just a networking space all those things mm. that you talked about in your, in your MA class and I talk about with, with the universe those spaces are so important just to just to take away the energy from those mm. spaces. Sometimes you don't even need to walk away thinking, "Oh, I've I've learned a new craft or skill," or you know, with my own work. It's just mm-hmm. walking away, going, "Yes, we, we've all gone through the same struggle, and we're still here, and we're still creating, and there's still mm. space. We are making space for ourselves, mm. and that mm. is just so important." So we had the launch um, in March. February, February, end of Feb. It feels yeah. like such a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> um, end of Feb. Um, and it, it was amazing. It was amazing to see so many incredible artists. And Vanessa is amazing. Yes. She's, I, I could just, I could listen to Vanessa all the time. I remember seeing Vanessa perform on stage first. And I was like, I want to be her friend. I want to be her <laughs> friend. She's so cool. Um, and Manira Pilgrim, who also, again, I remember speaking to Manira and she was like, I mostly work in London. I don't. I don't work in Bristol. And she's she's gets she gets flown out to Europe to run workshops Whoa. and to do. And in Bristol, she's like, where do you pick up the work? Yeah. So it's just, oh my god, because her set was fire. Just the energy she yeah. brings onto the stage with her. Yeah. She's just. Um, she's incredible. And I do. And um, the poetic pilgrimage did come out of Bristol. They were two Bristol lasses. They did. You know the hip hop scene. It was right. amazing. Um, so it's nice to be able to give her a home back here. Mm, mm. And that's why I think Kyoto is so important because when I, when I move back to Bristol, loads of people go, oh, it's great. Bristol's so creative. That's such a cool art scene. And you go, yeah, it has, mm. but it's mm. a very white art scene. It is. Um, and then just the constant conversations around, well, how do you tap into those communities and are they really even interested in art? Blah, 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 blah. Um, <laughs> it's just really, really frustrating. I remember... It seems like the same conversation over oh, and over and it's again. like Bristol, you sell yourself as a city and yet you've got a town mentality. It's, it's you Look at Birmingham, look at Manchester. They are able to do things that you are struggling, really mm-hmm. struggling to do. And I remember... Um, when I first realised I was moving back to Bristol, I was a little bit like, oh, I'm going to go back to Bristol. Oh. Um, and I, I hated that because it's my hometown. I don't want to think about Bristol in that way. And I think what really triggered that whole thought process of was the, when Nikesh Shukla did The Good, the good Immigrant and it was just like, yes! Yeah. That was such an important landmark in, yeah. in, in British identity for me um, in, like, in recent years. And there was an a book signing and a book reading where it was Nikesh and I think Coco Hahn was there and um, yeah, a couple of readers were reading from their from their um, extracts of, their, mm. of the book and it was at Waterstones in the galleries and one of the first questions in uh, as a in the Q&A was from a white middle-aged who seemed middle-class lady who was very much like well how do you, I mean I've noticed here there aren't many people of colour and you know you are mostly um, attracting only white audiences so when you say that something along the lines of mm. when you say that it's important you know 
is it really because they're not interested because they're not here mm. and there were several of us sat in the audience in the back kind of like oh, <laughs> do, do we do like, literally when people say I don't see colour is it that they just don't <laughs> see us <laughs> um, and also what was really frustrating is that this it was the first time I found a book really spoke out about my experiences mm. and the first question that changed the entire dynamic of me being there sat there very excited with several mm. of my friends um, was it was just derailed. Mm. It was automatically just about that that white identity again. And I remember feeling really frustrated that Bristol can't move beyond this mm. way of looking mm. at itself mm. and and refusing to acknowledge and accept that there are certain communities that are part of their community. Mm. Um, and and also and, and just thinking beyond that. And let's, let's think about the fact that you know Waterstones is in the galleries. Like yeah. how many people are gonna come all the way to That's the thing. It's like you're saying, Oh, people don't wanna come, but it's also like the space you're holding it in. Are you yes. making it an adequate adequate invitation to this community? Do they even know about it? How yes. are you marketing these events? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Cause the amount of events I go to that happen for people of colour, by people of colour, in spaces outside of that. Mm. You know, I, I was going to Pakistani poetry events in Bristol that were just like in Urdu, in Punjabi, that nobody else knew about. Mm. It was just for those for those people, those communities. They yeah. were interested, but they didn't feel welcome in those spaces where people And that's are. something I hear so much yes. about um, from people of colour in Bristol is that they don't feel welcome in this space, that they don't feel... But even not even from people of colour, it's also a class thing as well. Like yeah. people from South Bristol... That yes. they don't feel comfortable going into the city centre, yeah. and yeah, this whole idea that the city that the city centre, where so much of the artistic and cultural institutions and spaces and networks just are seem so impenetrable yeah. to people who aren't already in it. Yes, and it's very much like a Bristol mentality. Like if you've grown up in Bristol, I've noticed if you're from London or if you're from somewhere else, you come at it with a whole different mentality. You're like, right, cool, new spaces, cool. I'm going straight in there. I don't have any qualms, but in the interactions I've had with people who've grown up here, it's very different. There's a whole, there's like almost, there's more baggage. Yeah. 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 There's so much more that this city has to deal with. Yeah. So it's definitely something that I've been learning as I've been here. Mm. Mm. Yeah. I can't remember what I was talking about before. <laughs> point. I was just like, yeah, Bristol. <laughs> I just brain melted. Yeah. It's got a long way to go, but there are yeah. some amazing people doing incredible work and pushing those boundaries. Mm. And, and open to change and open yeah. to ways of working differently. So, yeah, I'm going to be knocking on some doors and hoping cool. to, to um, with with Aisha kind of kicking me up. <laughs> Let's get this going. But we have our second event in June um, and we definitely want it um, to be a conversation with people of colour creatives in Bristol um, to provide something that's useful rather than coming in and going, okay, this is what you all need. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we want to put together a steering group. Okay. We want to um, have a conversation with audiences about what they would like to see, have a conversation with people of colour artists about what they actually want to have provided for them. That cool. would help. Cool. Um, so, yeah, it's, uh, watch this space. It's no, I exciting. like that. That's good. That's good. That's the thing. It's like going into the community and asking not telling yes. what yes. do you want yes. yeah, yeah. Um, and in a way that we're not asking someone else to do our research and and, and do our work for us mm. <laughs> without being paid <laughs> yes yeah yeah because um i think i think it's rising arts agency i think yes they're doing great work like again in these 
like parishes, these boroughs like or Bristol that yeah. aren't the city centre. Yes. Work with young people. Yes. Yeah. So okay. I, I've been watching their work, but they work with young people, and we were like, we want to do something for adults as well. Mm. But I think what they're doing is really it, it's kind of helping us to also form and shape what we're doing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Right. Well, we're nearing the end of the episode, and so I'd like to give a mic over to you to touch on something that that you feel passionate about and that is something really important to you that maybe doesn't get discussed in interviews that doesn't get discussed in thing in the way we talk about bristol in the creative landscape yeah okay oh it's a kind of worms you're unleashing here it's <laughs> a big one um okay so i think going back to this idea of people coming in and derailing certain spaces mm-hmm. um i think that's something that really gets my my goat um and the amount of spaces i've been to that are about exploring or looking at alternative versions or creating safe um, communities and hubs and then someone will come in and disrupt that and I think as women of colour we've often had to accept that that's going to happen men will come in and speak in those spaces Um, you know you can get somebody who's very well-intentioned and middle class and white will come in and say something that disrupts that um, that um, space and you just have to sit there and swallow it and just kind of walk away and, and find your own way of dealing with that and I think it's getting to a point where I'm I get increasingly frustrated why these spaces aren't allowed to be exactly that safe mm-hmm. <clears throat> mm-hmm. and there's lots of conversation around people who are saying things about freedom of speech and being allowed to have these conversations otherwise we end up with Trump in power and um, blah 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 which I get that we shouldn't be living in these echo chambers mm-hmm. totally but at the same time, um, so for example, the Yoniverse Collective is a space that is for South Asian female poets. Um, and we explore loads of um, ideas and we um, explore loads of issues and topics and concerns and try to look at the alternative story. I don't feel by having a spe- one space like that in the entire UK <laughs> is going to be setting up an echo chamber where we're oblivious to what's going on day to day. We are reminded mm. of what's going on day to day. We yeah. can see what's happened in New Zealand only recently that we know that these things exist. But it's about having one or two safe spaces where we can actually just talk about mm. and come at certain issues that we have experienced without having somebody else derail that space. And I think spoken word is getting to a very... <clears throat> a dangerous place where people keep thinking freedom of, sp- freedom of speech is more important than actually having one or two safe spaces. Mm. And I think what frustrates me sometimes is you get people come into those spaces and say, "Oh, yeah, but you know, you can't you can't do this here because in my day to day work in finance sector, I have got to hear X, Y, and Z." And it's like, well, actually, it kind of triggered off a whole different kind of way of thinking for me when people were coming in and saying I've got to experience x y and z in this space and that space and you've got to tolerate it and therefore you should also have to tolerate it in this in this creativity space and that threw me because no Mm -hmm. (laughs) firstly Mm -hmm. (laughs) you are getting paid at work and here it's the other way around you are paying for a safe space um you are paying to hear something that you don't have to tolerate outside and secondly the creative space is actually more detrimental and I think much more of a dangerous space Mm. for people who work in those spaces Mm. so when I say this I mean there are lots of young female poets who are going onto stage and performing things that are very open and leaving them emotionally vulnerable Mm. and there is no infrastructure in spoken words there is no there is no um no one being held accountable 
So you've got promoters who are p- putting on their mates and their friends and and you know you you're working late at night you are working in an environment that's alcohol and fueled um and you are going in on your own oftentimes because not all your friends are you know into poetry so you have mm. to build up a community in this space and especially if you're new you're trying to get in with whoever it is that mm-hmm. uh, owns these spaces because it's it's very cliquey um and i feel that there is um a real lack of safety for women in, in in spoken word and I think that needs to be addressed and that we've had loads of incidences across the country in spoken word um, spaces and I feel like it's taken such a long time for people to start waking up to it but I feel that um, it's something we kind of really need to address and when we say that we want one or two spaces to be safe that's not being um, that's not being selfish and that's not wanting to live in an echo chamber it's about saying just once mm. just once every month or every four I just want to have a space where I get to switch off and feel safe and feel loved and feel like I'm going to get some energy and creativity mm. um, and just walk away feeling optimistic. Um, so that's my my big gripe, I think. <laughs> no, thank yeah. you for saying that. Definitely, because like our creativity is so much is so connected to our well-being, who we are. Like what you're saying about being vulnerable, being open emotionally. Yeah, having that space, especially as. A woman, especially as a person of colour, like you need that to not bring all of that, all of that baggage, all of the things that we think about when we're thinking about the way that we're perceived, the way we have to hold ourselves, the way we have to present. Mm. Like sometimes we just want to leave that at the door. Yeah, yeah. So I totally hear what you're saying, and yeah. So where can listeners find you? Find Kyoto, find Yoniverse, and you. yeah, tell us. Tell us where we can keep up to date with all of the amazing things that you're doing. Okay, cool. So I can be found on Instagram at Shkifta K Iqbal Poet. Um, and it's the same with Twitter as well, same hashtag. Um, and then Kyoto Bristol is on Instagram. It's also on Twitter. And the Universe Collective is on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. Cool. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Um, I feel like it's only appropriate that because we have such an amazing poet, on the podcast that we get to hear a poem. Sure. Am I allowed to swear and stuff? Oh, um, I think so. Okay. Yeah, yeah, we're some grown women. This is cool. a grown, this is a grown <laughs> people's podcast. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I thought I should have asked for that first. <laughs> um, so this is a poem. It took me a really long time to write this poem because it's about partition. It's about um, empire and colonisation in, in, in India. And, and the detrimental effect it had on the people and the cultures there. So, yeah, it took me forever to write this. It was quite short. Um, and I'm currently working on a poetry film with Elizabeth Meisen, who I made The Borders film yeah. with. And so we're going to be doing that over summer, fingers crossed. <clears throat> it's called Empire. I was doing all right until I met him. Needy, complicated, full of drama. It was small man syndrome. It was upbringing. He was misunderstood. He was island. He needed to be given a chance. And everyone said he would be cruel, but it happened so slow. And then suddenly it was 200 years of sorrow that sat in my bones, that sat in the salt of me. I had let him hold my face in his hands, whisper in my ears, let him mute the spice of me. He slipped heirlooms off my nakedness, fingers, neck, Wrists, ankles exposed, he put his dick into the soil of me and I bore the children he denied. He drew lines across my body. 
He broke me into nationless pieces. He gave me a blade and he sat and watched blood flow. He waited. He waited for me to become all teeth, all nails, all bones. Wow. Shukufta K, everyone. What a powerful poem from an amazing artist who you should all be following. Thank you so much for listening to Words of Colour's In Conversation podcast. If you liked this episode, please follow us on SoundCloud and social media. We're on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at Words of Colour. And let us know what you think. I'm Heather Marks and I'll see you next month. Bye.